there was a lot of that bullshit oh, from Amsterdam. Dude, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it explains why we uh, <laughs> ended the way we did. Yeah, man. I will miss that office, though. That was a pretty sweet-ass office. Oh, dude, the whole thing was fucking dope. Yeah. Really, it was a pretty, like, sweet gig. Just because they're... Dude, honestly, to, to, to have thing. finished school and, like, literally that Tuesday, like, Friday I'm done, that Tuesday I get a call and it's like, yeah, so this is the job. Uh, you want, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll come in and interview on a Sunday. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, I kind of failed the Croatian test because it was written by, like, academics. Oh, yeah. Like, the English test was on, like, a third grader's level. Right. But the, the Croatian, Croatian was test like was, like, <laughs> dude, fucking above college level. <laughs> Um, both in the subject matter and the kind of like they were asking for such nuanced like it's like no one talks this way yeah no one in like no uh and i get a phone call not surprising given um like localization right 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 but then i get a call from this lady from cambridge and uh like i'm pretty sure she let me slide in because like we had a conversation she's like you know what good for you like, we ended up talking about, like, my life and her life. Yeah. And, you know, connected on the whole war, um, obviously. We all fucking connect on that. Like, that that's our year zero. Yeah. It's like, wh- where were you in, in 92? That, okay. From there on, it's like, we know how it goes. Yeah. And uh, she was like, yeah, you'll do fine. I think you'll be great. And she also <laughs> had no idea what I was going to do because it was had even like most people at that point hadn't even heard of it really dude it like it, that was how everything started and then that was just how everything stayed forever yeah. it was just when we first got there nobody that was our boss knew what the fuck we were even doing yeah like nobody that welcome to space is fake the podcast transmission incoming from outside this world This is uh, Kenny. I'm Kenny. Hi, my name is Alex. I'm a new guest on the show. An alien threat. Houston, we've got a problem. What space is fake? Say again, there's nothing out here. What space is fake? Say again, there's nothing out here. What space is fake? Say again, Houston. Space is fake. That's the name of the podcast. Say again. We're going to be uh, exploring the Cuyahoga River fire and other um, uh, fires on bodies of water. Yeah, related or unrelated incidents of mass neglect that uh, led to some uh, advancements in the meta of the world. So large, yeah, um, in pretty negative ways. Well, actually, ultimately, I mean, the Cuyahoga had well, a relatively all, all is well that ends well, yeah, <laughs> okay. as you'll find out, yeah. So, uh, to jump into the Cuyahoga first, just some background on the Cuyahoga River itself. It's a, it's a river that, like, the, the point, the part of the river that we're going to be focusing mainly on, uh, runs through uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and dumps into Lake Erie. And it's not like a straight shot either. I don't know if you've seen a map of Cleveland recently or the Cuyahoga, uh, but it's like 
I saw when I was reading, they mm-hmm. some some people were describing it as a U shape, and I think that's just because part of it is like the U shape part is in downtown, but it's yeah. actually kind of like an S shape, and it just sort of zigzags through the city and the outskirts of the city. So basically, that is to say, it covers a lot, like a shitload of surface area of the city. Right. It, it's a river that kind of, because of the way that it snakes, it covers, like you said, a, a wide area uh in a populated densely populated part of of the country right. you might say historically and once it goes ablaze that's pretty noticeable yeah and and back then it was also i mean cleveland was a huge center of uh, a lot industry. of industry yeah yeah uh, and that's just because it was a central waterway and the uh it was kind of the one of the main central waterways for the midwest um, and there was virtually no regulations in the area at all. Um, so it caught fire at least 13 times between 1868 and 1969. So, uh, wow. yeah, that's uh, in 101 years, it caught fire 13 times that were recorded. But towards the end of that, like in the, you know, uh, uh, 50s and 60s, it was happening a lot. And like the local news wasn't even it was happening so often that the local news wasn't even reporting it. Because it, it, was it just, wasn't even news anymore. Yeah, this was just the state of the river. Because and it would be like little areas of it would catch on fire. Dude, that's I mean that's insane. Yeah. So uh, in 1968, a uh, Kent State University symposium uh, was uh, like some Kent State people were essentially checking out a section of the Cuyahoga River. Um, there's currently a power struggle between my dog and cat. Uh, hey Frank, look at me. So this is a description of the river uh, via Kent State University in 1968. Okay, tell me. The surface is covered with the brown, oily film observed upstream as far as the southerly plant effluent. In addition, large quantities of black, heavy oil floating in the sl- floating in slicks, sometimes several inches thick, are observed frequently. Debris and trash are commonly caught up in these sl- slicks, forming an unsightly floating mess. Sludge accumulates on the bottom. Animal life does not exist. Only the algae grows along the piers above the waterline. The color changes from gray-brown to rusty-brown as the river proceeds downstream. Transparency is less than half a foot uh, in this reach. The entire reach is grossly polluted. Time Magazine said that the Cuyahoga River oozes rather than flows. That's so disgusting, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Methane bubbled up from the riverbed, causing the river to gurgle like a cauldron. So how did it get to this point? Well... Essentially, there was a shitload of companies. Notable polluters are Republic and Jones and Laughlin, which were two huge steel mills. There was also uh, Sherwin-Williams. And I'll I'll have a a longer list towards the end of this. Essentially, there was no regulation on what you could do as uh, the owner of a factory. So all these industrialists were just having their workers dump the refuse from whatever industry they were running. Um, I mean, just straight into the water out of sight out of mind you know yeah um it's it's sound business strategy really yeah uh sherwin williams would uh they were located on the cuyahoga river they had a huge factory there and they um essentially they'd make their paint obviously in like these huge giant vats right right and so they uh it was kind of like a running joke amongst the city that you could tell which paint they were working on that day because that would be the color of the Cuyahoga River. Oh my god. Um, Did it have a favorite color? 
<laughs> I, I don't know, man. Um, or like, I wonder what the most used color was. I, I don't know. So I, I, I looked into it a little further and basically it's um, the like essentially when a paint would go bad. Okay. They would just dump the whole vat in and that's when it would really change the color. So like, wow. yeah, any paint that I guess wasn't getting used or maybe got mixed wrong or whatever, they would just dump it in there and then they'd also use it to clean out the vats when they were done with it. So they'd like literally rinse so it with disgusting. river water and then put it back in. The uh, So I, I, I mentioned earlier um, Republic Steel and Jones and Laughlin Steel. Mm-hmm. Um, the river downstream from those two mills was described as a liquid Masabi range. And just for reference, the Misabi Range is a massive underground ore deposit in Minnesota. So they, it's like okay. liquefied metal is flowing from the, uh, the area where the steel mills were. Um, so, so it was actual like ore that was just being dumped or the color was such because of the I, pollution? Well, so actual ore was being, not actual ore, but liquefied. I mean, those steel mills were um, Oh, so that were was just dumping their leftovers, basically. Yeah. so it's like this metallic-y, like oily. So probably all the like imperfections after processing the ore and building whatever they were building. Yeah. Which is basically like, huh, divert that into the trash pile, which conveniently discharges. Um, and I have a really just uh, an awesome, um, uh, an awesomely worded description of um, of the uh, of the Cuyahoga River at this time. So here it goes. Uh, and this is just um, for the record. This is a section from Edward Edward McClellan's "Nothing But Blue Skies: The Heyday, Hard Times, and Hopes of America's Industrial Heartland." Okay, so here it is. Shaped like a lower intestine and performing the same function for Republic and for Jones and Laughlin, the two largest steel mills on its banks, discharged pipes as misshapen and as gargoyle mouths vomited sulfuric acid into the water. Iron scale and fleece dust tinted the surface a liverish hue that locals described as terracotta or maroonish blush. Upstream of the Sherwin-Williams plant, the color depended on which batch of paint had gone bad the night before. We covered that. Uh, every day, factories polluted the river with 500 and, or uh, 550,000 gallons of wastewater. Every day. Oh, my God. The pickling acids discharged by the steel mills contained ferrous sulfate, which absorbed so much oxygen that the shoals were open graveyards of fish, bleached of color, gasping to death. Ugh. Dude, um, that's so disgusting. Dark oil slicks floated in the water like whirls of black ink. The calcium sulfate excrescence from uh, Harshaw Chemical... Tapped the river with a cream of white soda. Or topped the river with a cream of white soda. Wow. Slaughterhouses pumped blood, animal organs, and offal into the river. That's disgusting, dude. Yeah. That is uh, incredibly disgusting. I can't even believe, like... Uh, it. I mean, it, it literally is just a dumping ground. Yeah. Like, uh, the current will take... Like, where did... I would love to be... In those meetings back then, like, I wonder if they even had meetings or if they were just like, oh, yep, that'll do. Yeah, well, the companies didn't give a shit. The city 
kind of gave a shit. But uh, I, I one of the saddest things that I read was like there was quotes from people in the town that were just like, oh, well, I'd rather have, you know, a paycheck than, than you know, and live with the pollution than have the pollution gone and not have a paycheck. But the, re- the thing that's fucked up about that is that's a false dichotomy that's presented to you by your fucking employer. Right. Like, there can be industry and also not have everything be dumped into the water. You can have proper disposal of shit and still have a job. Like it's a false Absolutely. dichotomy that your employer is the one that's telling you that and you're, you're eating up their bullshit. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So um, this is just a little section that I wrote on this. Um, so, of course, the industrialists attempted to place all the blame for the pollution on the city and its residents, uh, making the argument that the major this is a quote that the major source of oil in the Cuyahoga River is sewage pouring from the stream uh, of a broken intercepting sewer city of the city of Cleveland and also from a storm and combined sewer discharges. The storm sewers contain oily wastes washed into them from automobile drippings on the streets and in filling stations. The sanitary sewers have oily wastes and the discharge from homes, businesses, and industries. So classic fucking um, uh, giant industry trying to blame it on all the individuals. If anyone ever tells you that like the way you solve climate change is by like fucking individual people recycling and buying electric cars, they're fucking lying. And they're probably lying while poisoning the water and right yeah it's all, all that that's all social engineering it's fucking yeah the the, the it, it's meant to target your emotional it, it's are you familiar with maslow's triangle of needs uh yeah it's like the the basic seven basic seven and and i air quoted for those that are uh not in the room with us uh today and in, in the future, we may be doing shows and selling tickets or giving away free tickets. So, you know, if you're interested, you'll be able to see those air quotes. Let, let, let us know. Uh, let us know when you write us a review on iTunes or subscribe to our Patreon um, <laughs> free ticket tier. Uh, but but yeah, so when you uh, <laughs> derail myself. Uh, yeah, when you when you look at those needs, the, the bottom three stand out to me the most. Uh, and I've read somewhere that or maybe even conjured this up in my mind, whatever. But basically the way I see it, most people don't get past the top three. So the first one is your food. Uh-huh. Um, and then the, the second one is security, safety, shelter. And then the third one is belonging. So when you take something like a company, a place of work, a source of food, shelter, and security, and a place of belonging such as what a company would do in a, you know, area, right? Especially if you take it further back when people were first set, settling the continent. You know, the only the only entities that could finance that, right, were big companies. And most people really only think about uh, life in terms of their lifespan, right? Right. It's all like max 100 years, right? And especially the further back you go, the smaller that number gets. And so if you play at the emotional centers of mothers and fathers who have children to worry about yeah okay well sure the air was nice and fresh and now it's a little more polluted if i can afford to you know buy transportation and if we take it in the world today right buy a car have a house etc etc you can just move further out like right that's the it's the mindset you can run away from the problems that are created by the right. thing that you're Out of sight, out of mind. It's, it's it, on, interestingly enough, as, as we're talking this out, right? 
just in the same way that these people were just dumping in the river and the river takes it further down, we don't have to worry about it. You just move further away. Yeah. If you can afford gas to get to work and you can, you know, we'll just open up a food center there wherever you live. And you don't even have to go into the city with the exception of having to show up for work. Right. But the thing is about that worldview is that only works on a scale of, you know, ad infinitum. Pre, <laughs> it only works on the scale of pre-industrial revolution. Well, where it was like, even then, it doesn't. It still doesn't work, just because it it can't work on right. the scale of a society. <laughs> There's just too many people. There's not enough resources. You. you can't just do whatever. So, like in this, in the, it's I, you're right that the river is a really good metaphor for this because that river, every river flows somewhere, right? That right. river, I mean, and every river and every. Like the bottleneck, the river was kind of the bottleneck to their pollution, right? Because exactly. it flowed out into the uh, into Lake Erie, which got heavily polluted by the river. But I mean, theoretically, if they were just dumping it straight into Lake Erie, they probably could have gone on another ten or fifteen years before Lake Erie caught on fire. Um, but just the fact that, like, yeah, you can't you can't just sail all your problems down the down the river, and you can't <laughs> fucking run away from your shit. That yeah. you're that you're causing, you can't. You can't just send it down the Mississippi. Exactly, and so my kind of counter argument to their argument that it's the it's the citizens of um, of uh, Cleveland that are that are causing this. Um, so they were primarily pointing to oil drippings from cars that were flowing into the storm drains, which were then flowing into the Cuyahoga. Um, oil drippings occurred in every city in the U.S., and none were as horrendously polluted or flammable as the Cuyahoga. And that might be a decent argument if the water didn't fucking match um, Sherwin Williams' fucking cleaning schedule, right? That right there is just that was industry. There is no other thing that's going to make the water the same color as the paint that Sherwin Williams is cleaning. Um, so here's the list of the largest. Uh, polluters named in 1969 sherwin williams is an honorable mention they didn't make the list but since okay their shit may not have i mean may not have been as flammable as oil paint is flammable and uh, back then i guess a lot of it was probably oil based um, makes sense but so here's the the largest polluters as of 1969 republic steel uh united states steel jones and laughlin steel harshaw chemical master anodizers and platers modern tool and die co Weather tight, a division of the Pacific Coast Co. So, uh, this just to kind of get into like the aftermath of it and the event itself. So, the the river caught on fire a lot, uh, at least thirteen times, uh, as I've mentioned, um, but definitely more than that. Thirteen times were recorded. The real, the one that got a lot of attention was in 1969, and essentially there was a uh, an oil slick. I mean, there was thousands of oil slicks along the river. Okay. Um, but there was an oil slick underneath a um, trestle or like a little uh, bridge for a train mm-hmm. and some sparks from the train um, wow. landed on the oil and ignited it. It damaged the uh, the trestle. It caused like, you know, uh, like one point in today's money, like one point five million dollars <laughs> worth of damage to the city. So not not huge, really, in the context of a, of a huge city, but it did get a, it got a ton of attention because. A fucking river of water should not be on fire ever. That's just not a thing that's supposed to happen. That's that's counter to the whole idea of water. We use we use we use water to turn fires out. Right. So it got it like made the cover of Time magazine and 
Um, and luckily, the this this actually um, was the uh, the kind of catalyst for the Clean Water Act, um, which was passed. And Cleveland overhauled its waste treatment facilities, um, and Cleveland's industrial polluters were forced to pay fines and clean up their business practices with regard to the river. Um, another cool thing I learned about was there was a Cleveland guy named Frank Samsel okay. um, who was contracted by the city to clean up the uh, flammable materials out of the Cuyahoga. Um, he designed a 56-foot boat that functioned like a floating vacuum cleaner for flammable wow. liquid and, de- and debris. Um, oh, shit. Uh, he remarked that when they were on the uh, vacuum boat, which he called the Putzfrau, um, which means like German cleaning lady. <laughs> um, yeah, Frau is a uh, woman or lady. Puts must mean like cleaner. Clean. Cleaner. He talked about. He remarked uh, regarding he and his crew when they went out on their boat. We wore very inexpensive rainwear, and we'd just take a knife and cut ourselves out of the rainwear because it would all be black. They would just be covered from head to toe in sludge, wow. and so they wouldn't even like bother to buy durable rainwear because it's not going to hold up for even a day. Um, so in, in closing, uh, at least for this story, uh, keep the story in mind next time some like right winger advocates for deregulation or dismantling the EPA so the business co- businesses can thrive. This is what the, li- that libertarian wet dream looks like. The business owners were raking it in and the rest of the city were suffering. Some might argue that the leaders of industry will trickle, trickle down their ill-gotten gains to the workers heads, but that's demonstrably false. Uh, Cleveland's workers lived in the refuse that their industries created, and they were riddled with disease as a result. Uh, The meager scraps that their employees did provide them was thanks to strong union organization. But make no mistake, if the deregulators had their way, we'd all be up to the neck in liquefied industrial waste just high enough so we don't drown and are free to keep consuming. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, You know, what's crazy um, is that that's not even the only river in the United States alone. I had uh, just kind of done some cursory research on, on all the different rivers because with this episode, we wanted to focus mostly on this river because it's uh, probably the most notorious one. Yeah. Um, and it just has like probably the most historical significance because of the Clean Water Act. Right, that brought, brought it on. But what's interesting to me is how many fires, um, rivers rather, caught fire in... 6869 yeah and also uh, uh, an aside for a pun i think that the song summer of 69 <laughs> is uh great for <laughs> for many reasons one, one of which is uh <laughs> just since you mentioned that just as an aside there was actually a bunch of songs that were written about the Cuyahoga river fires were there really yeah and about, i can't remember i didn't write it down but um there was like three of them that i saw in there i was surprised that smoke on the water was not one of them that's actually about a different different thing mm, the fair enough fire. but yeah in uh in 68 the buffalo river caught on fire buffalo new york uh buffalo river buffalo uh, United States. Yeah, I think New York. I actually didn't research this one. Probably New York. Um, but uh, I mean, basically, yeah, it was a workman's uh, torch that ignited the fire. Not to focus so much on on this river because there's. Let, let me go through with this, and there's a point that I want to make. Because so there's that river. There's the Schuylkill. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that river in Pennsylvania. That one much earlier in. Uh, 1892 
because of an oil leak from Point Breeze, Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Uh, so that could be, maybe we'll have an addendum if, if there's more there. Essentially, it was coal dust and silt just coming from upstream that, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, congregated? Well, that's for people. But essentially, there was enough of it to cause a, a combustion. It like built up. Yeah, the buildup caused the fire to uh, go ablaze in uh, all the different regions. Uh, like four different regions of it and then the second uh well third in the ones i'm talking about but one the second biggest is the river rouge fire uh-huh. uh which is uh a, a rouge river flows into detroit river so it, it kind of is almost even considered i think part of detroit river and it eventually goes into lake erie what you were mentioning earlier uh the fire that it's famously known for apparently is uh the fire of 1969 and again came from uh the massive polluters around it uh petroleum companies refineries different waste treatment plants that were all part of detroit and the reason i bring these up isn't even so much the fire aspect but the part that industries play into this and you can read more on all of this on a book by John Hartig, where he chronicles the uh, pollution in Rouge River and the three others that all uh, kind of culminated uh, with the Lake Erie fire, which stemmed from, uh, how do you say it? Cuyahoga? Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga, um, that you just talked about. The reason I bring it up, this book, uh, it's called Burning Rivers, Revival of Four Urban Industrial Rivers That Caught on Fire. He's a Michigan uh, environmentalist. And here's uh, I want to bring up. Uh, these are some of his quotes. In the mid-20th century, when the lakes and their tributaries were considered public sewers and waste disposal lagoons, industry was king and dirty rivers were considered a sign of prosperity. So this... <laughs> blends into that whole social engineering aspect of people that work in a place of industry you kind of have this this mindset altering that has to happen really i mean think about it think about it if if someone came in today and said okay i'm gonna open up i don't know a steel mill or a coal plant or whatever it doesn't matter i don't know some alien thing uh and that said you know we have to process this or yeah here i'll give you a modern sci-fi thing let's say we find a way to mine asteroid asteroids right uh-huh. and we collect them and then for processing uh you know they have to shoot them down and they have to get filtered through the oceans and it's like we're gonna get great resources, but we just gotta dump it in the Pacific. Right. No one in their right mind would say, "Yeah, do that." Yeah. Well, that's not. I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of right mind. That's but what there's. I... <laughs> Thanks. Siri, <laughs> Siri agrees. <laughs> uh, and that's a bad tangent. But no, no, yeah, it's uh, not. In, in it's a not lot of ways, because it's not fully thought out. I'm not Elon Musk or fuck Elon Musk. Uh, you know, Elon Musk is one of the people we're Sir talking Branson about. Sir Branson or... So is Richard Branson. That, yeah, or the people that wrote The Expanse, etc. Uh, and honestly, if our space exploration goes the way of Expanse, 
that just proves further that this unobstructed approach to the, the, the unobstructed approach that we allow industries to take towards resolving, let's call them societal problems. Yeah. In terms of, you know, mass uh, population uh, food provisioning. I'm just coming up with terms now. But but yeah, the, the way in which we go about solving our problems, the answer isn't to just give private entities unobstructed means to do it. And I don't not because we need right we need industry we need innovation and all those things but we also need clean water like like here's why this is this whole thing is comical to me we literally have nonprofits in this country mm-hmm. that take money from people that work in various industries probably some of which pollute to bring clean water to people on other continents because they don't have clean water why don't they have clean water? Because of the company that's donating to... Right, because yeah. that same company or some subsidiary of or whatever their equivalent on the other side of the world polluted the shit out of... Like, all those donations are just ass-covering moves. Well, because the, this here's the thing. Companies don't give a shit about anyone but the, but the company itself. Yeah. As, and the company, as a function of being a company, that's their only interest is to continue being a company at all costs, including... At human cost, including at environmental cost. At any cost. cost. cost at any is a, fucking cost. A, a cost, you know what a cost is? Um, and I got this from uh, doing a little bit of research on uh, BP. Mm-hmm. You know what a cost is? It's a number on a balance sheet that helps you offset your profits so that you can pay less in taxes. Yeah. And I don't even. Uh, essentially, and, and and just to be clear, I mean, I, I don't want to go off on like a huge like Bernie tangent or anything, but uh, yeah, by doing that, like they are literally there. It's two layers of robbing people, right? It's on the first layer they're robbing people because every employer that any that you or I or anyone has ever had, mm-hmm. um, with very few exceptions, um. I mean, they don't pay fairly for the labor that they're extracting from their workforce. The people who are being paid the most are working the least. They're, they have the least difficult jobs. It's not, you know what it is? It's not hard to be a high-level employee at it's, these it's, places. It's, it's hard to get there. What they're doing in these roles, the high-paying roles, is this uh, assumption of risk on paper. Right. AKA you take on the risk that if you don't make a profit, you might lose your job. Right. But even so, and I, 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 again, I'm getting off on a tangent, but all like all employees at any level are on, on the, on the first layer of them being fucked over by their employee or by their employer is just in terms of wages, just because the gains that are, that are being any, to the extent that gains are being made, they're only going to, a very small handful of people and if it's even a handful of people uh like if you've got investors it's going to the investors and the ceo fo and you know whatever see sure the chief whatever people are taking the lion's share of the profit and everything else is just scraps that's going out to the employee. So that's the first layer that they're getting dicked over. And then you're getting dicked over as an employee and just as a citizen on another layer because you are like 
the government, there's a certain amount of money that it costs for the government to run, right? And if the government had more money, theoretically, they'd have more money for like social services and things that everyone could benefit from. Sure, that's a theory. And these companies are... Uh, Should work on paper. Uh, right. Well, these companies are not, they're not paying their fair share in taxes, which means that burden is assumed by their workers and the rest of the populace so like and on a huge scale this is just like everybody that has a job is getting dicked over by their employee in terms of or by their employer in terms of wages wages have not gone up as this at the same rate as just growth so well yeah of there's course. tons well, more dude, money okay, coming so, in than there was 20 years ago and it's you know, not it's, going okay, to I mean, employees so we and live, we're getting uh, fucked over tax-wise not to not to dox ourselves but uh we live in the information that I'm about to disclose did not come from any, uh, you know, official data polling places. This is just in conversation with people that uh, do not have a software type job. Uh-huh. So, you know, when I worked at the uh, liquor department, talking to like bartenders, waiters, etc., just shooting shit, uh, typically around wages, because you know, it's you know, hot topic. Well, you know, it's uh, like I'd like to know, especially because back then I was making. Like not whatever shit wages, and I'd imagine like that was probably the, around felt, when the fifteen dollar minimum wage yeah, thing was it, starting it, to be. It a was it was starting to be a conversation. But my point being, so we did we write we have fifteen dollar minimum wages, and it didn't destroy the city. By the way, the city still um, works. There's still fucking restaurants everywhere. Lots of small businesses. Go ahead. Yeah. So <laughs> so just to finish this point quickly, the amount of money that it takes for one to live in this city. It's $25 an hour minimum. <clears throat> so that alone, right? There's a $10 gap an hour between what you need to live in the city versus what you get. Mm-hmm. And so most of the people that I spoke with were, you know, older than me living with roommates. Yeah. Probably never going to get to a point of of owning your their own place, etc. And there's a lot that you could say in terms of, you know, better life choices, uh, you know, tough luck or that's all bullshit. You know, that's all a hundred percent because that's not you can't. We're getting to a point in our society in terms of our numbers that and and this is not a number versus land. This is just how we live as a society, right? A lot of people will talk in theoretical ways, like you know, population is getting too huge. And then the other counterpoint is, well, there's a lot of land like in the middle. But but people live on the coast, like like it or hate it, love it or hate it. 80 to 90 percent of us live on the coast and we're not looking to move inland. So shit needs to happen in order to facilitate that. Yeah. Right. Like and it's the responsibility of government, because, I mean, we live in a society that has government. Right. Government collects tax. They should be using that to then give back to a society or to uphold it, right? Yeah. Essentially. And to make it so that, you know, because the, the thing that I think is bullshit about that whole, like, argument about, oh, well, you know, if maybe they if they had made better life choices, it's like, hey, you don't know what life choices they made. I know plenty of people. And that's not who how made, life works. Right. I know plenty of people who made all the great, all the best life choices. They're fucking brilliant. And they are currently a waiter or a bartender right. or whatever and that's yeah. and i and more power to them like it's fucking tough out there dude and i think that if you're a waiter or a bartender you're definitely working your ass off those are neither of those are easy jobs 
and you should be able to fucking afford an apartment. I'm sorry. You should be able to afford an apartment, be able to comfortably feed yourself and, and afford to be able to get like whatever luxuries you need go on like fucking two vacations a year, you know, like what pisses me off the Dude, most they about do that it in is, europe easily yeah i mean and my like when i have these kinds of conversations with like my grandpa or like more conservative members of my family they'll always make that kind of argument what the argument that the argument that oh well you know the people that work in like service industry and stuff should you know just be more ambitious and work a little harder and it's like the that's complete bullshit Dude. like fucking uh i i just use myself as an example and i i'm like really candid with them about it and this is back when we worked at our old job i won't disclose where that was but sure. um it was a tech company and uh it like we got laid off but um but while we worked there we were just talking about this it was a fucking super easy job like really super easy and and decently paying job like a lot better than you're going to make as a wait a waiter or a bartender and i can guarantee you every single waiter and bartender in seattle worked 10 times harder than we did we would have entire days where we just play mario kart yeah (laughs) here's my overall point to that it's not to me it's not even an argument of this or that or more ambition like here's a cold truth we need waiters yeah right we need nurses we need transportation drivers we need fucking bartenders like we we need like these are not jobs that we don't need no these are jobs that make up the social fabric that holds everything together you go to a restaurant you want someone to cook food for you because like you don't know how to cook or you don't like cooking or hey maybe you work too fucking much and are overworked and so you have to go and get food somewhere because you just don't have the fucking time. Yeah. Well, that's all fair, but that person is not a slave. We've moved, and, and I hate to draw such parallels because, I mean, there are parts of the world where slavery still happens and, you know, endangered servitude and, and slavery is fucking horrible. But we know better, we have the resources, and we can do better. Yeah. And all of these, these jobs are not a matter of ambition right and with the slavery comparison it's not the same it's different in degree but it's the same in kind it's the same kind of relationship that happens between american employer and employee and uh and like slave owner and and uh slave like it's it's not yeah like like i said i can't emphasize enough how it's not even close in degree but it is the right. same type of relationship. It's the same type of exchange. You're still indebted to You're, someone and have to and, and can't like you can't choose. Right. And under slavery, there's like the threat of violence or whatever. And, and which is obviously way worse. But yeah. in, in, in current mm-hmm. culture, there is the threat of literal starvation. That's that's you the, can be that's out the on deal. The street. That's Dude, the deal is you. You is know what you breaks me? Work you, for these fucking oligarchs or you starve. That's it. Unless you're born rich. That's, I mean, those but, are, that's the you only know, you options. You know what breaks me? When I walk downtown, th- this happened maybe like three summers ago now. It wasn't the very first one. It was the second one. I saw a father and a daughter, suitcases. Yeah. Just been evicted. Yeah. On the street, downtown, like yeah, sleeping on, on cement. Yeah. I, I mean, that, I, have, I, have, I have worse stories. Well, one that I witnessed-ish, and it's not... It really shouldn't be talked about. I can tell you, I told a friend of ours to like it, it fucking mortified me. The um, but my point being that it 
we have the means for it not to be that way. There is absolutely th- there is no fucking scarcity in the world. The only thing that we have a scarcity of, maybe, and you know, I'd have to look at the data, but like the the materials for your lithium fucking ion battery, or you know, the materials for like the fucking chips in your computer. And yes, I finally have a smartphone after fucking five years. But these are, uh, in a lot of ways, unhealthy and unnecessary luxuries yeah. that we have. So you can't make that point. And well, and we have an insane amount of luxuries and an insane amount of resource. Like so, I in I just read an article about in Portland. There's um, uh, forty. I think it's forty five percent of the of the units in Portland currently. The housing units are currently vacant. Where are these people living at? No, no. It's not like someone owns it. I mean, like the company owns it, but they're just empty apartments. That's what it means. So these just no people or the no, people live a, outside of the... There's there a, a lot of people are living outside of the city because it's got a similar... I mean, Seattle is really similar. Ours Dude, isn't our neighborhood. High, but ours is probably like 30%. And there's basically in Portland... There are enough vacant units to house every single homeless person, have their own unit in Portland, and there would still be 18% vacancy. See, and what that speaks to me is, is like, I would love to sit in on the numbers meeting that justifies building these places and leaving them vacant. Yeah. Like, there's buildings here in our neighborhood that have sat unoccupied. And these are multi-unit, you know, condominium-esque wannabe places that have sat sat unoccupied now for at least minimum three years. And there's got to be a point at which that's just not efficient. Yeah, half this fucking building is empty. Like, like dude, like right you know what saves us here? I think is the fact that we have uh, mild weather. Right? We don't have like imagine if you had to. You know, a unit this size. I don't know how many units you have. So uh, let's eighty just in this building. Eighty. I was gonna say a hundred, right? But let's say that we got sub, uh, like below zero uh, Celsius. And again, not to dox myself, but you know, let's say we got negative degrees. Yeah. All of a sudden, you'd have heating costs because you can't have your pipes fucking freeze. Right. Um, and you would have your your costs will go up such that then. You need someone to be like, there was a place and for our listeners, I don't know the, the overall point we've hit on, but I just got to finish this out. There's a place that was offering like free two months or six months at one point down the street here. Yeah. Like they would give you free six months if you signed a two year just to get someone to pay them rent. Yeah. Because why would you right? like? Well, and, and the and rents here are just fucking out. Like at that point, you may as well just go and buy a house like literally. There's a place down the street here. They expect you to pay four grand for like a one bedroom. There's units in this building that are about that. Four grand for a one bedroom. If you, I, I don't know if their light is on, but the uh, the unit at the very bottom on this yeah. side of the building, it like covers the whole bottom floor. It is a one bedroom, but it's fucking huge. And I got to check it out because i had i had some connections when this first place first opened sure 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 and, yeah you, uh, you you used your uh your your uh contract yeah so i just got a tour of the uh or not your contract but what's that uh, uh, i'm trying to think of a dumb backstory 
Oh yeah, yeah. My uh, oh, I can't remember what that is called. Um, criminal contact. Yeah, criminal contact. <laughs> contact in the underground. Uh, yeah, and I got a tour of that unit. It's all just like cement. It looks like fucking Batman would live there. But yeah, it's like four grand a month. Dude, and see that doesn't even appeal to me. Like you, you're just giving me cement that's gonna kill my feet. Right. Like, it's it, like it's not. I mean, it's cold as fuck. Not right. like literally. Not literally, but metaphorically, it's just cold and very sterile. Oh yeah. When my when my girlfriend like was yeah, like a well designed yeah. morgue. Oh nice. Yeah, so when my girlfriend was first looking at uh, places, condos, mm-hmm. etc., there was this one that was uh, being sold as an industrial-esque kind of, uh, you know, cheap, chic, modern. Like an art space, yeah, an yeah, art loft. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what they always call like an overpriced fucking big empty box. Dude, it was on the first floor. It had uh, like a sliding door uh-huh. to the open. Like, yeah. I mean, there was like a wonky gate thing but it like, just went to the sidewalk basically Damn. like in in a back alley so anyone could just come like oh, jesus That's anyone sketchy. could come in and like the the door the locking mechanism was janky as fuck like it just cheaply ma- like if you um when you go to an apartment around here and they have a sliding door on the balcony yeah, like, like one of those just like like just a flick dude. plastic yeah, locks, yeah yeah like like i mean not to not to say that you couldn't take a brick through it you could literally like just rip it open if yeah. you just give it enough force right and everything was just metal and concrete and then the outside which thank god that we ask uh, asked them basically they had this weird siding that was like artsy and whatever uh-huh. they said that the replacement of it because there was leaks yeah coming so basically water would come in and it would sneak in and basically would ruin your wall but because the damage would be internal, uh-huh. it's your responsibility. Like your whole <laughs> wall could get fucked. Like over, you know, over a span of some years, and you wouldn't know until it starts falling apart. Until yeah, your fucking shit falls apart, and then because that would cause damage to the outside, then you could be liable for the entire building. So the building decided they're going to create a fund. Long story short, if she had purchased that place, we would have like everyone was on the hook for 15 grand to pitch in to replace this and the place it wasn't like it was a one one bedroom dude it was basically smaller than this apartment yeah and they were they wanted like it was outrageous what they wanted Uh, it was like close to 300k and that was three years ago damn yeah Uh, you don't want to be you don't want to be in an all-concrete space like when the fucking big one hits, you know. Oh yeah, you fuck. Because we're gonna we're gonna have a giant earthquake here pretty soon. Oh, yeah, we're all, we're... I mean, we're all gonna be fucked. But like, you're gonna be extra fucked if you're sleeping under a giant slab of concrete that's just gonna fall on your head. Well, dude, and the the problem with that, I think, is that you may not even you may not even be so fortunate to get taken out. Yeah, you like you be could trapped. be buried alive because the way concrete breaks is it breaks in big slabs. Yeah, and. Like it might fall in such a way that it like it that you just trapped traps your legs or there. or it traps your whole person and you can't like dude I'm giving myself anxiety yeah, right dude. now fuck we gotta get out of this place I'm actually uh, low key I'm trying to figure out where to move to 
but then I'm also like the 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 chaos lover in me is like fuck it, we'll just deal with it. Yeah, you should just stay in Seattle, man. Don't leave. I mean, Seattle's I'm, pretty I'm, rad. I'm gonna. I love Seattle. Um, it's worth the earthquake. I do. It it is worth the earthquake. Um, because I don't believe the hype. I just hope that I'm not like I'm gonna have to not be indoors. Yeah, I mean, it's either gonna happen now or sometime in the next like 250 years it's a pretty yeah we we have a pretty pretty good shot of making it through or you know if we're fortunate and our listeners like our content maybe we'll be giving a show somewhere else you know in australia or maybe like you know korea or japan so it'll just be everyone that we love that will be dead well i mean maybe we (laughs) we give them tickets yeah um anyway yeah, but that you know, point point being that there's um, there's a certain level of responsibility that when you get big enough, you should be held accountable to. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, there should be a level of care that you give and provide to uh, the environment that's made you rich. Like right. I, I have no problems with any amount of wealth. I really don't like I, I think the amount of wealth that you should be able to gain through your work should be unlimited. If you're, I, I if you're well, I know, but let me just finish. <laughs> if you're an artist huh. and you make a painting and it sells for a billion dollars, you, you should take that billion dollars. You should pay whatever tax on however you made that billion dollars and that tax should be proportionate to those earnings. Right. And my point, I guess, is that I think that the effective tax rate should essentially be what it was in the 60s, I mean, which is it was like it was like around what it is today, a little bit higher for just the average middle class person. Um, so you're getting taxed at like 25 percent, maybe 30 on yeah. the high end as a middle class person. And then up to a certain point, like how uh, how that tax structure would work is that your first i think it was if you translated it to today's dollars your first three million dollars a year Mm -hmm. are taxed at the same rate as everybody else and then everything after that was taxed at 92 fucking percent dude and that i think is how it should be if you anyone you can live for a decade on three million dollars if you're making that in a year you can give up everything you make after that there are people that live on 10k a year so the conversation of what one is able to live there's people that live on less and i, I get it you know i just think that it's a problem that people hoard wealth because there right. is a finite Ulti- ultimately, amount of ultimately wealth. that is the problem and they just hoard it within one family and it's not right. being, and, and you, it's not you're, being spent you're, it's not being trickled down it's what i don't sitting. here's here's where my problem is when you get together and you write laws that make non-existing things into existing entities that have the same legal protections as humans Mm -hmm. or more so right to then basically hide resources right that's problematic as we as we see i mean look at china they aren't i don't know if they're still doing it but they were buying cans of air from canada yeah right like that's a problem yeah when you can't breathe your own air, that's a problem. Yeah. When you can't drink water, like the, and I know this is about river fires, but you know, Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Right. Like people, kids were taking showers in their homes and having their hair fall out 
Because yeah. the water was fucked. Well, and you fucking lead a, poisoning fucks up your brain for the rest of your life. Right. And so you're no longer a contributing member of society because you can't think. Yeah. Like, well, it's not. I mean, I don't want to be. I don't want to say that people from Flint can't think, but yeah, I'm not. But I'm, I'm not just saying, saying like it. It, it really like you're it hinders a, you, and it, you're and it, at a disadvantage for the rest of your life. Right. It also it makes you more prone to like violence and shit. Right. Just lead poisoning. Yeah. Long term for the rest of your life, you're more prone Dude, to violence. Dude, it took down well. so Rome. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up, man. So and 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 ultimately, we can do better. That's the kicker. Like. I, I just said that lead poisoning took down Rome and there are some scholars that think so. And we could say that Romans didn't know, right? We could we could make the claim that they had no idea that the lead that they were using in their piping and whatever, uh, you know, and not that they weren't prone to lunacy. We'll do an episode on some of their emperors <laughs> that I uh, enjoy reading about. The great lunatics of Rome. Yeah, it's going to be great. But the point being, ignorance that stems from simply not you've never experienced something as a whole society yeah right like uh because i can't excuse individuals like motherfuckers you have the internet you can subscribe to campfire kumbayas on your podcasting app and get some knowledge in your face in addition to many other great podcasts so you have no excuse wikipedia is free and all that information is vetted like when i was in high school and college a professor could say you can't use Wikipedia because, you know, that's not uh, sourced correctly. Nowadays, that shit is pretty well sourced. You should still look for journals and your fucking whatever's well, peer reviewed. Well, go, go to Wikipedia and then click click this, click this, through the sources. But, on, but the point being, you can get the information and we have it. Right. So you don't have an excuse. And you can attain as much wealth as you possibly can and are able, but not by limiting others from doing so. That I disagree with wholesomely. And I, what I'm trying to say is that give to charity. Like, you want to be taxed less? Sure. Build a fucking school. I mean, rebuild a road. You want to be, my answer to that though is you want to be taxed less, uh, eat shit. I mean, you're, all of your employees want to be taxed less too, but they still have to fucking pay their taxes because right. the IRS will go after them and it will not go after you. How about you. this? Pay your employees taxes. Pay 100% of your employees taxes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just think that, that the corporate tax rate should be higher than the individual tax rate. Because I mean, you they just have, pay your fair share. That's well, really and corporations as as have collectively a much larger burden on society than individuals do. Right. Well, and Warren businesses. Buffett talks about how you know he pays less uh, effective tax, uh, lower effective tax rate than his secretary. Dude, you know what I love about him? What is uh, his daughter? Not his daughter. Granddaughter came out and said something uh, against him and, and his practices, etc. And he disowned her. Oh, Jesus. Fucking cut her out of the will, cut her out of the allowance, like, everything. Yeah. I don't, for the record, I don't think, I, I'm not, like, a fan of Warren Buffett's, really. I just, you know, he, that, that was a poignant thing he pointed out. The thing is, Warren Buffett, you could be taxed at the same rate as her. You know that, right? You know that the only reason you're not taxed at the same rate as her is because you pay a guy who dodges all of those taxes so if you really think it's that big of an issue that you're, uh, that you're being taxed at a different rate as her, than her uh just pay your taxes that's the solution just pay them yeah just pay your fair share i mean to me it's like i don't get emotional like 
uh, you know, I, I know asshole, uh, not to call people names, but it's uh, not to beat a dead horse on this, but there's a cost to our society that is fairly evident everywhere. And this is fucking America. Like it just shouldn't like as a basic principle, it shouldn't be that way. And yet it is. Yeah. And it wasn't always. And, and people, people are suffering. It yeah. And it's it's like people want to work. Like people want to live lives. People want to be healthy, happy, and free. And so there it is. Be that. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Seize the means of production. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Say again.